Sunny 16 presents. another episode of the music and photography podcast i'm billy sanford and today i'm really excited to be talking with my old friend leonard watkins hi leonard how are you doing hey it's uh, great to see you as always yeah it's <laughs> been a long time it has been a while since we've been able to catch up but you know i started this podcast music and photography i was in the band in high school so music was kind of my first love and then i got into photography later in life as a hobby and um, started this podcast to talk to other people who enjoy these things, as, either as creative outlets or they just really are meaningful to them or, you know, they inspire one another or, you know, different ways that these things intersect. And, and so that's our story intersects because yeah, just does. at the time I was getting into photography, uh, we worked together and you were in a band, the Blue right. Devils. Right. And... I came out to listen to you guys play, but also because I was getting into photography, I'd bring my camera along. And those are great experiences, I think, for somebody to try and learn because it's a lot of times it's dark and people are moving around and you kind of. And I say your subjects aren't photogenic, so you have to try to make them <laughs> photogenic. I mean, you got four ugly guys on stage playing music where you could, you know, go do photo ballet or something, you know, or something right. much more pleasing to the eye. Right. Um, you mentioned that you played music. I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah. So, well, I was in the school band, so I played trumpet, junior high and high school, marching band, symphonic band. When I got out of high school, I did buy an Alvarez acoustic guitar, tried to learn how to play that, learn, you know, the same three chords everybody does, <laughs> and had a great time strumming it, still have a great time strumming it. You know, the regiment of being in a school band where you're playing music every day, even if it's not music like people listen to on the radio or that sort of thing, but it gets in to your soul, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah I, uh, and I missed it. Yeah. I think uh, some things with a lot of creative art, so to speak, whether you're an artist, photographer, or a musician, you almost become obsessed. Right. If, you, if you're really into it, you become obsessed. You know, you can be part-time. Right. You know, just, uh, but you got to, there's got to be some obsession there, some motivation like Michael Jordan, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he played, practiced a lot of basketball because he was obsessed. And I, and I think it's the same way if you're going to be good at photography, music, 
anything, you you've got almost become obsessed with it. I think so. It does. Uh, I'm not smart enough to be able to explain it, but it's part of our. Um, I think it's hardwired into us as human beings that that impact that music has on us in particular. I mean, you've been there when you've been playing music and somebody starts getting up and dancing and, and maybe they've had a little liquid sure. courage to sure. it. We love those people. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But it, it does have that impact on us. It moves us and inspires us. Yeah. So you are guitar player. That's how I know you. Do you play other instruments as well? Uh not really. Well, sure, I play other instruments, just not well. <laughs> right. Uh, I did play the mandolin uh, okay. for a while. I really got into that. As a um, wife went to a Christmas party, I bought, borrowed my brother's mandolin mm-hmm. and a book. Okay. And by the end of the day, I was playing it. And so made a trip way up Sam Mountain, stopping at every store, looking at mandolins right. uh, to buy one. And it was really great, this one store I stopped in, I you know, I looked at the mandolins, couldn't really play them well. I had that one day, but I could play a little bit, and I strummed a little guitar. And as I was walking out, these old men are sitting around having coffee, and they said, hold on, you don't get to leave without playing a song with us. (laughs) (laughs) So I got a guitar, we played a song. (laughs) All right. Well, good deal. Well, let's let's go back to the beginning. How did you, when did you first start playing? How did that happen? Well, my uh, brother played guitar, and he was good, and he was into music. Mm Mm-hmm. And my uncle, his name is Leonard. Okay. And, and uh, he owned most of Shelby County at the time, uh, mm-hmm. underdeveloped. And uh, he was a tremendous guitar player. Okay. And I was named after him. Mm-hmm. And uh, forever, and still some people still say it, he was Big Leonard and I was Little Leonard. Okay. Yeah. That's just, they knew me as Little Leonard. That's what it was. Right. But he was an extraordinary player. And so him and my brother really probably made me start wanting to play and since you know my brother was into music he had the, all the good records you know that and that's uh, that's how it started i mean right yeah okay did self-taught or did he teach you or lessons he degraded me <laughs> 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 and he taught me some but uh mm-hmm. he basically told me that you know they had the same amount of strings and frets and fingers as you do right so go you know you should be able to do it Right. Which is not that simple. He couldn't do it either. <laughs> now, my uncle could. My uncle was an extraordinary player. Right. Uh, he played on the radio way back. Okay. But he uh, learned a lot from him. He played like a Merle Travis, Doc Watson, uh, Sweet Georgia Brown, Double Eagle, that sort of stuff. Just wonderful player. Right. What kind of music were you listening to at the time? Oh, well, because of my brother, uh, I was listening to blues and I right. was listening to rock. A lot of influence, uh, a lot of blues influenced rock back then, you know. Uh, right. He took me to my first concert, Johnny Winter. Okay. And, you know, she see Johnny Winter and you're a guitar player, you know. That just, <laughs> That's right. That turned on me. <laughs> but uh, I remember he had, uh, my brother had an eight-track of uh, Lightning Hopkins, Lightning Strikes. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. And, of course, my player ate the tape and I was scared <laughs> to tell my brother. But, yeah, he had all that stuff, Freddie King. But mm-hmm. then he would also have a, a Deep Purple or... Slade, mm-hmm. you know, just all, all sorts of influences. And and I would go hang out with him when he went to play with other people. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get a chance to play with him at a gig or anything? No, not, not at that time. And what happened is uh, uh, me and him were 
hanging out together a lot. And and one day he said, I'm going to Bible school. I'm going to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. And so he left and went to Pensacola and left me with his Les Paul. Okay. Big old Vox amp. I mean, huge. <laughs> right. So I annoyed the neighbors for a long time. <laughs> but uh, he still played guitar, but mm-hmm. he, he didn't play secular music. Right. And the only time I was actually going to play with him was at his church. He's preaching. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we got together and played a few songs. He said, you know, tomorrow you come play. And I said, okay, I'm just going to leave my guitar here. It was daylight savings time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make it. Uh-oh. <laughs> and so he told the congregation, we'll auction off his guitar. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When did you learn to play slide? Was that later on, or were you doing it that no, early? No, absolutely not. Uh, slide just just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Just slide guitar, and I, you know, in muddy waters, mm-hmm. and uh, just it's a totally different animal. And so uh, Johnny Shines, who was a blues legend, lived in Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. and he would play around Birmingham for nobody. Nobody, you know, only be a handful of us. And the next day, I'd go home. Tune my guitar to an open tuning, you know, get out that slide and just awful music. It's just terrible. <laughs> it wasn't even music. But, uh, and I would go buy these finger picks, and we didn't have music stores everywhere back then. So, uh, right. Fred and Instruments was the only place that had finger picks, you know, for banjo players. Mm-hmm. I, I, Jack, I wouldn't get it. I'd go see him again, and I, and I studied the music and wrote about the music. Brenda wrote about the music. We were big blues nerds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one day, kind of happened mm-hmm. and uh, Brenda had been out of town and she came home and I, and I just started playing Come On In My Kitchen Robert Johnson and uh, she about cried because <laughs> <laughs> I've been working yeah yeah it was uh, tough to learn for me yeah I can imagine like you said it's it's a different animal not just the tuning but just playing you know right right okay well at what point did you start playing in front of people? Well, uh, I don't really re- remember, to be honest. We used to, there used to be jams at Zydeco, the Blue Society mm-hmm. would have, and I met a lot of people there and played some there. But I can remember my first uh, paid solo gig okay. was Birmingham Southern College. Okay. And uh, still, a very high paying gig. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, uh, I made them sign a contract and everything, you know, I was just blown away by it. Right. And uh, after that, uh, we just, you know, a lot of us would jam and had mm-hmm. little bands and occasionally play, but we weren't really, they weren't really the real gigs. I can't remember the first real band gig. Right. Okay. And you mentioned the Blue Society, and that is, I guess, because I guess before I met you really i wasn't aware of the blues presence in birmingham but there's a nice little group of people that that do play the blues in birmingham right but uh these days i don't know if there's a such thing as a local blues band because <laughs> you know music fades in and out different genres right and it's not real the popular thing these days but i'm sure photography is the same way you have societies sure to preserve some right. of that, I'm sure you got some that only work with film, you know. When right. They, right. And that's why we have jazz societies, bluegrass societies, blues societies, because it's not mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got to have the supporters, you know, if you want. 
I bring a blues act to town, well, you almost certainly got to get the blues society to help you because you need the, those people to show up because the average person is not saying, hey, great, some old man's going to be playing guitar tonight. <laughs> right. Okay. And so at the point that you and I started working together and we were in IT, and this was the thing I was just asking you about, but at, at, at this point in time, so there was you and you were in the Blue Devils, and we'll talk more about the Blue Devils here in just a second, but another guy who worked on our help desk was in a um, kind of an alternative rock band. They actually made a, a, a CD and then broke up shortly thereafter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, another couple of guys were in a Christian rock group, and another guy was in a like a eighty synth pop cover band, and um, maybe another guy yeah. we worked with was in a was in another cover band. But this is out of a group of two hundred or so IT nerds. <laughs> <laughs> so to have you know, I thought five or six different people in that group, all being musicians playing music out. You know, whether it's in a club or at a church or just wherever this is happening, that that felt like a pretty good percentage of people who are actively out there making music. And yeah. so in your IT career, has that been, have you noticed that, that there's a lot of musicians yeah, who are also in IT? Not just musicians, but I think creative people. Right. Like, uh, uh, I know one lady, she retired, she's an a painter, artist in a Fairhope. Mm -hmm. But I told you about the uh, interview I had where there was a large room of people and they asked about hobbies and, and I told them music pretty much was it. Right. And uh, the person heading the meeting uh, asked people to raise their hand if they played an instrument and half the room raised their hand mm -hmm. and he tied creativity in with, with programming, having that kind of logical mind, I guess. Right. And I don't know if that's true, but it, it seems that every place I've worked, mm -hmm. I've met people who played music, and, and I've usually played with them, you know, and had a great time. And, right. But yeah, I think uh, I think uh, there may be something to the logical mind of a, mm -hmm. of a programming nerd and, <laughs> and, a, and a creative person, you know. Um, uh, right. Well, there were several photographers also. That's true. We had we a nice worked. little sure group of uh, five or six. Yeah. Folks, there may were, have been a knitting, grim crocheting. We just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there probably was. Um, so yeah, about the Blue Devils. So there was you playing guitar, Philip playing harmonica, also a little bit of guitar, and Philip is into hang gliding. Right. And then there was you, who is a professor at UAB, played the drums. Terry was playing the bass, right. and. Uh, was into yachting or sailing. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, uh, sailboat racing. Right. You know, he lived on a boat for years. Okay. Yeah, he's a, he traveled. Lots of stories from Terry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so just to say you guys, you know, seem like a pretty diverse group. How did you get together initially? But, you know, I've known Philip for a long time. Okay. Uh, and occasionally, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we would get together, play a little music, acoustic music, you know, and he would somehow, sometimes blow harp and sometimes play guitar. But uh, in shoes, I was hosting the Blue Society jams, and Shu and Terry would come to those. I mean, Shu became friends. It was uh, pretty easy because we were both, you know, easygoing, you know, and all that. Right. 
and he mentioned he was moving out to this area and so I said, well, when you do, you know, we'll get together. Right. And so uh, one night I was at local color. I don't know if I was playing or visiting, but I said, uh, hey, book my trio. Mm-hmm. And since I played down there a lot, they were like, sure, you know, and gave me a date. But the problem right. was I didn't have a trio. <laughs> <laughs> so I called Philip and Terry and said, do y'all, you know, y'all want to play? And we, we were the Leonard Watkins trio. Mm-hmm. And so we, we played a bunch of gigs, and then she moved out here, and I told them, you know, I'd I'd like to go electric, and you know, one of a one of the two thought it was a really bad idea. <laughs> right. But we went electric and changed the name to the Blue Devils, mm-hmm. and there was a a young band, blues band called the Red Devils. Okay. Who burned out fast? Sort of burned out. I won't say they burned out because some of them are still playing, but they were a phenomenal, a mm-hmm. raw, just a almost a punk attitude to the music, just raw. Right. And just, uh, I really liked them. So I wanted the Blue Devils to be like the Red Devils, that type of music, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it started that way, but it evolved into other stuff also. <laughs> like every band I've ever been in right. does that, and you try to fight it, but... Sure. Well, I think Local Color is the first place that I came to see y'all play. Oh, yeah. I used to love that, you know. It's easy, <laughs> right easy trip. <laughs> I know. Uh, one night I was gonna, uh, I quit smoking, mm-hmm. and I think we played about a two and a half hour set. <laughs> they were like, "Let's break," and I was like, "No, we can't be breaking." <laughs> right. So you know, some of the other places we did old car heaven a couple times. You did yeah. that by yourself and with yeah. the group, and then. With a couple of other out of towner guys, right? That was a steady one for me there for a while, and uh, and I know one day they called. Uh, you may remember this. Uh, they called and said, uh, "Hey, it's ABC or one of the TV shows. You know, we're going to be here in the morning. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> I want you to come play." <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, Philip was having dental work, and so mm-hmm. I used my friend Sean Gober. But yeah, I liked the old car heaven. That was a that's fun. Played a lot there. It's just. Yeah. So I'm at the manager. Uh, I used to play a lot of solo long before you knew me. And I, you mm-hmm. know, I played at the IBC in Memphis. Right. I played at King Biscuit in Arkansas with Steve O. Me and Steve O were a duo as acoustic blues. Mm-hmm. And so he he knew the name. A lot of people right. knew the name because I played a lot solo around town. And he just took a liking to me and had me there all the time. <laughs> and I just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's uh, maybe we should kind of trying to describe it a little bit so it's like an old warehouse right but he had a little bar area right when you walk in but the bulk you know a, a big chunk of the warehouse part was filled with old cars correct yes that he had restored he, or just yeah someone uh i don't i don't know the whole story someone had all them cars and they basically were using that as a storage place mm-hmm. for the most part and had the bar out front but it was it was primarily for the cars obviously as you right. would see right and he had a little stage yeah. set up in there yeah. so that was it was a neat place it was a very neat place and then i saw you guys at the butterbean festival butterbean festival yeah that yeah was funny. and uh we went up to gadsden one night to one of the we sure did there. Uh, that was really early on too that's a place called i think the tavern right and that was very early that's right. Yeah. And then this was much later, but uh, saw y'all at Avondale. Right. That was a fun show. Yeah. 
But it certainly a memorable experience was the night we rode out to Gibbs. And right. you guys were playing, and Elliot and the Untouchables, I think, was the other group. Right. Playing um, Elliot Mew, and he's from Birmingham, and uh, they're fantastic. They are. They fantastic. Were, they put on a great show. Yeah. But just really fun, and, and I, you know, that was another thing where I was not aware of Gibbs. And maybe at the time that we went, it was, you know, certainly it wasn't what it had been. Yeah, exactly. It was a... But still, what it had turned into was was a fun night to well, go out and listen at, to music. At the time period that you were in, it, it was still uh, fun and real. It was still mm -hmm. real. And, and later on, uh, other people got involved and stuff, and it, it wasn't really a jig joint. But back back when you right. were in, it was still, it was still there. Right. Yeah. yeah it, it, so it, yeah, it became, once more people got aware of it, it became more of a, a popular thing to do, maybe in a, to the degree that blues music scene in Birmingham is right. a popular thing. Because, you know, some of those people, I'm not speaking bad about anybody, but some of those people would be caught dead in that area. You know, they would right. go near that area. Right. And, uh, and to see them all come in and, and, and mm -hmm. just, uh, you, uh, you know, have a good time. There's never any, really any trouble that I remember no. or anything. Everybody's behaved, but it was all these different cultures together. So that was the cool thing about it. It was. And and he had started it like in the 50s or 60s. Right. See, when, when I first heard of it, uh, there was not ma major acts coming to play. It was just Mr. Gipp and, and uh, Curtis Files and mm -hmm. his boy Willie playing music on uh, the weekends, just like, just like the old days, basically. And... Uh, a lot of the kids in the neighborhood would come up, and a lot of them learned to play. Right. And so some of us blues nerds found out about it. <laughs> right. And uh, and went, you know, we'd bring our coolers of beer. They'd drink our beer, and we'd listen to their music. Right. And uh, and some of us would play, and, uh, I, I, you know, I played the old school type blues, you know, the mm -hmm. slide and stuff, so that they liked that. And, uh, right. And then it just, I don't know how it, became so popular just wide open and they started having some of the national acts I don't right I don't really know how that happened I know the people who were in charge and everything and they're great people they're the people that basically got it started and, mm -hmm. and build that area you know it was just a you know burn that garage kind of thing you know right so, but uh, it, was a, it was a unique unique situation back then and for a blues nerd that you know <laughs> studied all these guys mm -hmm. it was like unreal you know to be to be there and see uh i mean because it's real i mean you know they're not they're not, they're not making money here you know it's right real right so people just showing up to yeah. listen to music and play music yeah. and byob yeah <laughs> so i i never got to see y'all play at daniel day you mentioned that a while ago um i'm familiar with that so that was part art studio right but he had yeah. a stage well if it was a night show they would play inside but outside he had a little stage set up that people and, and a similar sort of deal kind of byob right but um that they had a nice little music community they, they, they had creative people there right from artists photographers you know would be in the audience and a lot of photographers and artists had their art and stuff uh for sale there right and daniel is a Tremendous artist, mm -hmm. and uh, 
that was one of my favorite places to play, and most people in town would tell you that. Right. Because it was a true listening room. Mm-hmm. You know, you play some of the clubs, you're what they call sonic wallpaper. Right. But there, uh, people are going to be there to listen to you. Right. And so it's intimidating to some, you know, because you know <laughs> these people are listening. Right, right. It, it, had a, a, it was a wonderful place. It really was. I mean, it's... Regardless if you were playing or going to see somebody play, it's a wonderful play. <laughs> yeah, sadly, that no longer around. Right. Any other places, maybe not even just with the Blue Devils, but just throughout your life that you got to play that were really neat venues? Well, you know, I mentioned, I don't know about venues, but uh, I mentioned earlier that when I was playing with Steve O, Steve Ernst, mm-hmm. he was a harmonica player. We were called LNF Special. Right. Uh, we, you know, played the King Biscuit Festival in right. Arkansas, played the uh, National Sly Guitar Festival in Brevard, North Carolina, and uh, mm-hmm. played in Memphis some, and uh, right. played all the various blue society things, whether it was mm-hmm. be here or Tuscaloosa, you know. There was the Alabama, Alabama Blue Society was based in Tuscaloosa, and so mm-hmm. I'd go down there a lot and play the train station, and, okay. and probably the chucker once or twice, but mostly it was a train station, and Big Wit and uh, Lil Wit and Big Bo. Mm-hmm. They were uh, a blues uh, duo that got pretty popular, put out some CDs. They were in Tuscaloosa. Right. Okay. And I forgot Renelli's too. That's, that oh, was, yeah, the Soul Pit. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that was yeah. That was fun uh, the couple of times I've, I've gotten to be over there. Yeah. And so he's a uh, – Renelli himself owns a diner, right? Right. Um sort of in the university district but when he has these jams it's after hours so it's yeah you just show up and groups play right right okay what and he plays himself too oh right? yeah he, he goes by charlie soul okay and they're out there playing his charlie soul band and mm-hmm. uh, and, uh he, a great singer and front man got a very talented band i mean you know right i, I love him to death over the Rick Ranelli, yep. Yeah. Great place to eat off of. <laughs> well, actually, I worked there for about a six or eight months or so. Okay. Hard work, but it was enjoyable. Yeah, and I'll agree. Good food, for sure. Uh, so one of, one of the other really cool experiences, for me anyway, was going with you guys to the studio. So you were, yeah. y'all were recording a... Maybe there's a musical term for it. I would call it a demo that you could give to club owners or yeah, something like something that, like that. To, to give them a sense of of your line oh, of your uh, the songs you'd play or or something like that. So it wasn't, you know, you weren't getting it to that uh, uh, commercial pop, level, right? Right. So you weren't doing overdubs or stuff like right, that necessarily. Right. You were just the whole blank. The whole band was playing yeah, the song live, to and, and right. a lot of records are that way. You know, right, they will record live. I prefer that way because you know there's energy. Right, there's energy. Uh, the, the very first time I recorded, I traded a, a copy of the Alabama Auburn on VHS for studio <laughs> time, and uh, there's a, a guy named Mike Julian who was an incredible guitar player, and he had a studio, and so that was my first experience. I'd wrote a song, a couple songs. And um, had to get somebody to play them with me. So a guy in the apartment, you know, I found out he played bass and he's a really good bass player. But we went and recorded uh, and it worked well. But my point to this was the next day, 
I went back and overdubbed the solo, mm-hmm. and it just blew my mind because you could almost do it one note at a time, you know, and you're overdubbing. Right. That didn't work. Let's do it this way. That didn't work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it took right. me all day to get that solo in, you know. Right, right. Okay, well, that's what I was going to ask you was if you had had other recording experiences and if it was yeah. done the same way with yeah, the whole plan. I've done, whole band a, playing. I've done a, several studios. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mentioned playing in Tuscaloosa a lot. Mm-hmm. That's when the Alabama Blues Society mm-hmm. was uh, there and uh, Debbie Bond and Mike McCracken and Kokomo Blues Band. And Debbie's a very active player right now. She just came back from Europe. Okay. But uh, they were very nice to me and had me playing in Tuscaloosa a lot. Mm-hmm. But Mike also arranged, Mike McCracken arranged for me to record at Vent Studios. And uh, that, that was just solo. Right. So that was, that was a really nice studio, and that was a, a great experience. And uh, I don't know if we snuck in or if it was, <laughs> or it was legitimate. Right. <laughs> and right. Uh, it's been several times. There was a, a class at UAB uh, over in Homewood, uh, I forget the name of the studio, one of the famous studios, teaching a class. They needed uh, someone to play. Mm-hmm. And one of the students knew me and, you know, was coming to shows and asked me. And I like, sure. So <laughs> I went over there, and it's funny because I walk in with a national steel. Mm-hmm. And uh, the teacher, professor guy, or whoever, wasn't expect- expecting to be, have to, you know, deal with someone playing a metal guitar. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> But he was pleased because he was like, y'all, y'all going to learn a lot today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet, for sure. Well, that, that's a, kind of a good segue. So at the same time as the Blue Devils were going on, you were also, were you building guitars? Or yeah, I came over here one day and you had some hanging up that you had painted. Were you building those or just uh, uh, doing a refurbish? <laughs> Sort of I, was, I wasn't building the bodies. I would buy uh, unfinished bodies mm-hmm. and paint them. You know, that, that way you could uh, build a guitar just the way you wanted it. Mm-hmm. But also the painting, finishing, was uh, a lot of effort right? and a lot of patience. And I'm not a patient person. <laughs> so it was a, a very good uh, hobby outing for me. Mm-hmm. To learn that patience, because, you know, you would put a coat of paint on and you'd have to wait a long while for it to dry, you know, weeks right. maybe. Then you'd wet sand it, mm-hmm. go back and apply, apply another, you know, apply right. another finish, wet sand it, you know. <laughs> right. So it was more work than I thought. Sure. But it was good for me. Mm-hmm. And I sold a couple of them. Okay. And uh, I still have a couple of them. It was, it was fun, but I, I wouldn't do it again. Right. Are you one to... Tinker. I mean, will you trade out your pickups if you just things like that? Do you well, customize well, I mean, it to your own feel? I guess what you want. Well, uh, it's uh, probably the same way with photography. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got the eye for it, mm-hmm. you, you can do it with a Lumix camera. You can do it with a phone now. I'm, right. My wife has a Pixel Seven, and those pictures are amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could if you got the eye for it. Mm-hmm. You're going to take a great picture, are you not? Yeah, absolutely. And the equipment is really going to become secondary. And it's the same way with, with these. A lot of people like to tinker. Mm-hmm. They, we call it chasing tone. Mm-hmm. I don't so much, uh, especially anymore right? as I get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it makes that much difference. You know, it's not. Right. 
you know, in most cases. I mean, obviously, in some instances, you'd want to upgrade. Right. But no, I'm, I'm not really a tinker anymore. You know, we we all go through this phrase, and I'm sure photographers or car collectors or whoever, you're buying all, all sorts of things, you know. <laughs> right. All, all these pedals, <laughs> all this stuff. And one day you realize you, you got all this, and and you don't really need it. Right. You know, and that's... Yeah, absolutely. Because so, I, I it frustrates me sometimes that I could do, you know, go on stage with a hundred dollar guitar and a hundred dollar amp, and they're not going to know the difference. No, they're not. It's it, just like you were saying with the phones. I mean, it's a it's a tool to help you accomplish your end goal. Right. I think. And so we started talking about your brother Les Paul. Right. But. I know you later as more of a strat, or at least a single coal guy. Right, I'm I'm definitely a a strat person. Okay, uh, but you know when you're I forget how old I was, but when your brother Lee said Les Paul there, you're a Les Paul person. <laughs> That's right, got this way better than yours, you know. That's right. So, but I, I yeah, I prefer a strat. Okay, just a matter of preference. I prefer you know the Gibson acoustics. Okay, and uh, strats. And a national steel. Oh, and that's still yeah. <laughs> Gotta have that. <laughs> that's right. And you were kind enough to send me one of your recent songs you wrote right. and recorded. And even back when you guys were letting me hang out with y'all, you were writing music. I mean, you would uh, do cover some of the standards, but right. you were playing a lot of original material. Yeah, have you I, always written your own music? I've, I've always... Uh... I've always been good at writing, mm-hmm. and, and when I was young, I liked poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd read poetry books, and uh, and I was just good at it. It just like came natural. I would save money. Right. You know, when I was a teenager, you know, it's Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. I wrote a poem, said, "With all my heart and not my money, just say I love you, honey." You right. know, send one rose <laughs> and not a dozen. You know, but right. I, I would uh, just always mm-hmm. uh, just it just kind of comes to me. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird. It's just a uh, Guitar yeah. doesn't come natural at all. <laughs> <laughs> so does it tend to just come out of you all at once, or do you like make little notes and revisit them over time and build it up over a longer I, period of time? I, I make little notes. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, like TV shows are great. I mean, one episode of Yellowstone, you can write a country song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the lines they say are great. But anyway... Uh, yeah, you know, sometimes I'll, I got, you know, a little app on my phone, like a mm-hmm. notepad. I'll just key in that line, you know, and, right. and look at it later maybe. And uh, But uh, I tend to try to finish them when I do sit down right. to do them. I, I, you know, it, man, it's usually morning time, you know, and you're not tired, and it just starts slowing. Right. And we can paint people a little bit of a picture here where you live is kind of remote. I mean, it's quiet. You, you mentioned there's more traffic yeah, these right. days, uh, maybe, than there used to be, but it's still kind of quiet. You got a nice back deck, looks out on the woods, very peaceful. Is that where you do? Where where do you do most of your writing? I usually am sitting on the couch in here, mm-hmm. uh, hoping my wife didn't come bother me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And, and, it, and it comes down, I got, you know, I got a laptop and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll type the words. Okay, and the uh, the music part of it, writing the music part uh, of it. Well, and sometimes you know you the music first. Mm-hmm. You know you play a, a 
chord progression or some kind of riff and, and kind of like it and say, hey, you know, and start singing along with it for not for you long, you know, you you're creating a song, <laughs> right? <laughs> but and, and you know, I probably have the timing. Well, obviously, I have the timing, the phrasing in my head when I'm writing the mm-hmm. lyrics, and so that probably makes the the music a little easier because I already know how I'm going to phrase this. Right. And that's uh, and that bugs me sometimes when, like, Lee, our bass player with $3 Voodoo, he sings some of them. Mm-hmm. And, and as a writer, I know the phrasing, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's got to be this way, you know. And he feels <laughs> it different. <laughs> so that always throws me off. But, right. So, and that was another thing I wanted to ask you about. If, if you... If you're writing something that you intend for a group to play versus just you yourself, you've played with some of these guys long enough to know kind of what their tendencies are right. and, and their strengths. Are you writing it with that in mind? Or are you leaving it completely open to them to do whatever they want to with it? Not, not with their part. Well, sometimes, yeah. There's some songs that there's uh, certain things that need to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you don't you don't tell somebody how to play their instrument, <laughs> right? <laughs> But, you know, like to have this in there, or like to have backup vocals on this, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely have those kind of things in mind. Sure. Right. Okay. And and y'all practice here? Or? Practice here on the, the back deck. And uh, and during the pandemic, we practiced, mm-hmm. and the neighbors were sending texts saying how much they appreciated. Oh, wow. They, yeah. would, go, they would go outside, you know, because mm-hmm. everybody was shut down. Right, and, and we were distanced. You know, obviously, I got a large deck, right? And so we would play very distanced, which which was really weird. But <laughs> right, <laughs> but we did anyway. We played when it was cold or hot or whatever. Yeah, uh, uh, and it made us a lot better. Obviously, the more you play, the more you do anything, the better you get. Sure. What? So talk a little bit about that playing music by yourself versus playing it with other people. I mean, obviously, there's a different dynamic things you like about both scenarios there, there is things i like about both and I, i've been doing a you know previously before you knew me uh, back when i considered considered halfway that you mean it might be a career right uh i was solo mm-hmm. and uh and now uh, recently i've been playing a lot of solo mm-hmm. and one thing i like about solo is uh i can play anything i want mm-hmm. you know uh and if people know me as a blues player, and they should, because you know. Right. But when I'm doing solo, I'm doing uh, John Prine, Jason Isbell, uh, Lyle Lovett, you know, mm-hmm. Guy Clark. I'm doing a lot of Bob Dylan. I'm doing a lot yeah. of that stuff also, and uh, right. yeah, I just can't do that with the band. Mm-hmm. And also with the. You know, like I said, I'm the only one who has to learn it when I do solo, and I don't even have to learn it for that matter. But, you know, be prepared. Be prepared. Right. But uh, when you're playing with other people, you've got to rely on them mm-hmm. to at least have a clue sure. about the song. Right, right. And you, when you are playing with a group, especially live, I guess you're feeding off of one another. Uh, right. It's a, a, The energy level goes way up. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've talked about that a lot. Uh, the Blue Devils. Mm-hmm. If uh, Philip couldn't make it, for example, to practice or whatever, mm-hmm. we would sound much more calmer. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and, everything. and when you add that fourth piece of energy, mm-hmm. it uh, 
I, the adrenaline, adrenaline kicks in and everybody's, you know, just just jumping. You know, right. it's, uh, right. but it, it's pretty interesting. And I, that's why I've been keeping it uh, $3 Voodoo as a trio, mm-hmm. uh, less moving pieces. Right. And harder to, I mean, not hard, easier. I guess this is a story I've heard from other people, it seems like who have been in bands there's always at least somebody who's maybe a little less reliable to show right. up and then uh, that throws off the whole thing right I mean, I've been uh, very lucky with both Blue Devils and, uh, and Three Dollar Voodoo mm-hmm. yeah. the, the bass player lives in Woodstock so that's mm-hmm. a long drive yes in he's the most eager one oh wow I mean, he's eager mm-hmm. and at both of them I mean uh, she's obviously always been eager we've been gosh playing together a long time Right. Uh, I mean, how, how far back was that? That would have been 2009-ish. Okay. So that's going yeah. on 14 years ago. Yeah. I, mean, I was thinking 15 years. That, uh, mm-hmm. We talked about that. I mean, she's been playing together 15 years, but very reliable. Yeah. Well, that is great. And now, Philip, he's he's different. Philip and the Blue Devils played <laughs> harmonica. Because right. Philip does what Philip wants to do, mm-hmm. and that's that's a that's actually a good thing. Yeah. If, if the gig is late, if it's a late gig, even though he's part of us, no, I'm not playing it. And, <laughs> and that you know that's something for us to adjust to with Philip. Uh, right. Because if Philip doesn't want to do it, he's saying no because right. he just does what he wants to do. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. No. So um, about playing live, I guess similar to the. Uh, Music by yourself versus music with a group. So when you were, when you guys were playing out here on the back porch, and not during the pandemic, where you know that was probably a, like you mentioned a good thing for your the folks that live around here. They enjoyed that, right. and I'm sure they do other times as well. But just playing music, just the three or four of you, and what you get out of it versus playing in front of a group who are there to listen to music and hopefully get up and dance or right. just enjoy right. the night. I mean, kind of what is that? What do you, what do you get out of playing music in front of people? And what do you get out of seeing the people's reaction to it? I right. guess. Well, uh, a, a lot of, especially doing originals, I, I like to, you know, you can call it work in the crowd if you want to, but, uh, but you know me, I'm a personable person. Yeah. So I like talking to people. Right. So I like an audience that's paying it. Well, we all do. I mean, that's the, <laughs> obviously you like an audience that's paying attention right. and you can talk to and like, you know, a, a lot of the original songs, you know, uh, Walmart Greeter, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I can tell them the story about Walmart Greeter, how it came about. Right. And, and if they're not paying attention, it's, it's hard to do that. I mean, uh, and I usually don't. Mm-hmm. And Terry with the Blue Devils used to say, you know, talk to them, talk to them. I was like, they're not listening, so <laughs> right. <laughs> you talk to them. <laughs> so, well, so I, I get a lot of that. It's just interaction, and it happens more often. Uh, I think solo, maybe because some of the places I played are more intimate. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, you know, you get to talk about the song, especially if it's an original. Uh, right. Yeah. You get to explain how it came out, Miss Rose, or whatever. You get to tell a little story there. Yeah. And, uh, no, you did definitely always had good banter. This was something I mentioned to somebody else, and he had a good kind of answer to it. I, I mentioned that I'd seen Eric Clapton when he came to Birmingham, I guess pr- probably around that same time. 
that all this other stuff was going. And um, I mentioned that he didn't seem to have much to say <laughs> in between the songs. I mean, he would play, you know, all these hits that, that you know, like the back of your hand. And he would, you know, people would clap and he would say, thank you. And then he would go into the next song. He just didn't seem to me to have much rapport with the audience. And the person I was mentioning this to came back and said, well, yeah, what, what is he going to tell you about Layla that you don't already know <laughs> or whatever, you know, what does yeah. he have to say? I don't right. know. But that, that did stand out to me. You always have had a good rapport with the crowd. I mean, I mean, I, thoughts on Eric Clapton. <laughs> I consider the original Layla. Uh-huh. Uh, this is just my opinion and, and my favoritism. I think it's the, the greatest rock and roll song ever. Yeah. You think about that song. Uh, well, and it helps a lot to have Dwayne Allman. Yes. And uh, playing way beyond the fretboard. He mm-hmm. slides way. He's in, he's in another world. I right. Mean, it's just, you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And that helps. And that, that song is uh is what uh, a song should be it's a, a you feel it i mean you mm-hmm. feel him the anguish over a woman right from him you feel the broken heart in that song and then right when you're feeling that it goes into another song on the piano yeah. which was a totally different song right and uh that to me is just one of the greatest songs uh rock and roll song mm-hmm. uh, ever but i'm not a huge clapton fan right and you're talking about uh you know him not talking or, or acknowledging the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to see Bob Dylan, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and and afterwards I thought Bob Dylan is not someone you go see. Right. He's someone you listen to because mm-hmm. he's not an entertainer. Right. And and my banner with the crowd is mm-hmm. because I'm entertaining. That's my job. My job's not to show that I can play guitar. Right. Or make <laughs> you laugh. Make you laugh at this song. Entertain you. You know. Mm-hmm. And you can be bad at the music mm-hmm. and good at the entertaining and the people are going to walk away right. having had a good night. Right. So, and, and, uh, someone I used to play with and, uh, I used to have to tell them that we're remind them we're here to entertain people, not impress people. Mm-hmm. You're not going to impress them to begin with, right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but entertain them. Just think, you know, you're, you're an entertainer when you get up there. You got to kind of change your mindset. Right. And, uh, and entertaining and I learned that through the years of playing because you know when I first started playing I wasn't very entertaining my knees were knocking (laughs) I was scared to death (laughs) right well and that that I wanted to ask you about that whether you ever got stage fright or anything Uh, at least early on I'm a uh, yeah uh, early on it was really bad when I mentioned playing the train station and stuff uh, Mm -hmm. that's when I was playing the national mainly slide Delta Blues you know uh, that's what I did but uh, we would drive to Tuscaloosa and I'm ashamed to tell this story but I'm just telling you the truth mm-hmm. and I would drink a bottle of Crown Royal <laughs> and my wife would drive Right. and so I'd go up there and be sluggish and stupid and mm-hmm. try to play you know I'd get through it and everything but right. but it's obvious uh, that drinking doesn't help mm-hmm. uh, at all and one in particular time I'll never forget it life lesson is uh, I was playing a train station I called ahead of time, made sure they had their sound equipment. Mm-hmm. They said, yeah, everything's here. You know, I'm, I, you know, I've been asked, y'all have reverb, you have everything. And they said, yeah, we got it covered. Right. So we drive up there, me drinking the Crown Royal on the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got there, and they didn't have good equipment. Oh, no. 
So I got up there and started playing, got in about two songs, and said, y'all, I'm not doing this. And I put my guitar down and walked off stage. Mm. And people were just in shock. Mm-hmm. You know, I had friends there and people that came to see me play all the time, but, you know, I just walked off yeah. and uh, went home. <laughs> <laughs> And my wife went Nick Saban on me all the way home. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she chewed me out. Mm-hmm. But uh, because I was nervous, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, drinking would help me. But uh, right. it's totally the opposite. It doesn't help you at all. Yeah. No. It, it makes you look stupid. Right. Okay. Well, it, you mentioned a little while ago, you know, at some point, at least considering pursuing music as a career. Right. And, you know, we certainly when you know you and i were working in it for an insurance company and you played music regardless of whatever your career was i mean how it's it's nice getting paid to be able to do gigs but what else do you get out of being able to play music i mean you so like you could watch lonesome dove or yellowstone and write a song uh, or you could just sit here and watch the show and not write a song. Right, right. Obviously, you're getting something extra out of that. So, yeah, well, you know, it's uh, you're expressing yourself mm-hmm. sometimes, and uh, and it's just fun. Well, you know, if if you do a photo or someone mm-hmm. creates a picture, artist, you want to share it with somebody, right? I mean, you know, yeah. So it's a, the same deal. Uh, I wanted to uh, share it with somebody. Yeah, and that and I, like I said, uh, I like entertaining. You know, you know. Yeah, but uh, also Fair like <laughs> also like being paid. Sure. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. I fell in my lap. Right. Young. And, Me too. Uh, <laughs> and so you know, I went with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, trying to make a living uh, playing music mm-hmm. is a is a tough living for sure. And it's a it's a. a not sure it's a living mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it'd be very tough but there was a time when me and steve were doing all the festivals and uh really up on up on my game mm-hmm. uh that you know hey my name was getting out there i thought hey this you know maybe i should do this yeah <laughs> right <laughs> but but you quickly especially when you're already have a good job and right profession is is you come down there pretty quick for sure it was I was just reading uh, the other day Bill Withers story and he was you know he he found success later in life All right. but uh, at the point that Ain't No Sunshine came out and was a hit he even at that point I don't think uh, left his factory job because he said the music business is too fickle <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it, it's a it's a it's tough I mean, yeah. I, I admire people who do it, and uh, and I, sometimes I wonder why they do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, people see uh, different artists, you know, that have success, have a record or something on the radio or whatever, mm-hmm. and you think they're making a whole lot of money and living a great life. They're not really. I mean, right. it takes nobody, you know, Taylor Swift is, you know, Eric Clapton, <laughs> you know, those people are. But sure. your average average person traveling town to town in a van mm-hmm. and uh, is having a, a tough time. I mean, they, yeah. it's best now after the pandemic. You know, I'm friends with a lot of people that mm-hmm. make a living playing music, right. travel the world, and uh, 
And after the pandemic, the crowds, audience have, has, has been a little slower. Yeah. Well, and, and certainly during those two to three years, I mean, it basically killed live music. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So very, I mean, impactful, of course, to everyone on many levels, but for live music specifically, basically killed it. Right. So oh, for, for, I got to ask you a question. Okay. You know, when I get into music, Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard music when I was young, you know, or my brother playing. I said, hey, man, I want to do this. Right. So how does a photographer, does he see a picture and say, I want to do this? <laughs> how does that happen? You know, I've tried to figure that out because there wasn't anyone like in my family who was big into photography. I think that there was some part of it because, of course, I grew up with you know, whatever our family camera was, whether it was a Polaroid or an Instamatic or a 110 or whatever, I always liked taking pictures. And I think it had to do with the photo albums because that was the thing we did back in the day. You'd get your your prints from the drugstore or wherever and stick them in a photo album. And I always liked going back and looking at those. So I think, but you know, that, that was a different sort of thing, right? Those are memories family, birthdays, holidays, vacations, that sort of thing. But to make that leap to go, okay, I want to go take a picture of this tree that really in the big scheme doesn't matter. (laughs) I think it's a, just like what you said, I mean, I think we have, or at least in my opinion, I think we have this drive to create things. I think it, part of it is wanting to express ourselves you know to add something to the world (laughs) yeah i think uh on some level from an inspirational standpoint i think probably similar to music i mean you know you hear what somebody else has done and you want to first see if you can do it and then you want to see if you can make it your own you know put it put some sort of twist on it and so that's how I think about photography now is, you know, yes, seeing what the work someone else has done and being inspired mm-hmm. by it and then wanting to, you know, kind of do my version of that and make it my own, I guess. Of course, during the pandemic, I did get back into film and that brings a whole new element to it because it's not just that I'm taking a camera and loading it up with film and shooting it. But I'm developing the film at home and making darkroom prints of it. And, and so it's not just exposing that film and make, making the image that way, but it's like actually producing a thing that you can hold in your hands, which is really, really cool. I think. Well, uh, my brother that played guitar, he also got into photography big. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously years, years ago. And uh, he would, uh, where he worked, he would get them to print sideline passes to the Alabama game, whoever they were playing. <laughs> right. And they would print them in mm-hmm. all the different colors. And so they would look to see what colors they were wearing. Mm-hmm. And so they just tie one on and walk and be <laughs> on the sideline. And it was great. They did it every game, seriously. Right. And uh, he took some great pictures. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he had a great picture of Bear Bryant. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, eventually... Uh, I guess a photography hobby left him, mm-hmm. and then he went to school to be a preacher. Right. And so, you know, 
yeah, this photo stuff there, the developing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was looking through his negatives and saw that Bear Bryant thing, and I, right. and we didn't have the internet back then, and so <laughs> I, I read the book he had, I guess, mm-hmm. and he had this monstrous eight by ten developer thing or whatever you and call larger. it, and larger, yeah, and larger, mm-hmm. and so. I went in there and said, I can do this, you know. <laughs> right. And so I did. <laughs> and I was producing black and white 8 by 10s of Bear Bryant. Yeah. And I'd given them to people, you know, it's a great picture. Yeah. And uh, that's all I did. I right. mean, I didn't I didn't say, hey, I want to take pictures now or, or I want to develop <laughs> film. But I, I probably did 50 of those pictures with all the materials he left behind. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I so, did. So, th- so I want to ask about. Uh, is film just going away, true film? I mean, is it just going to all be digital? It's actually kind of made a comeback. I would have said first digital cameras started coming out late late 90s, early 2000s. And it sort of took hold quickly. I mean, people realized how much easier and more convenient sure. it was. And that almost did kill film probably by, let's say, 2007 or so. It was just hanging on by the thinnest of threads, and that's when the iPhone came out, and that even wow. that changed things even more, right? Because not even just digital cameras, but like Brenda, you know, you can, you're, you're carrying a device around in your pocket that can take great pictures. So I think, you know, it's a couple of things. Um, for people like me, I think getting back into it initially was nostalgia there was an element to that also i think because by that point i had been into photography for a decade and i think you get to a point where just everybody's pictures looks the same yeah you know and i was looking for something that would look a little bit different so it satisfied that for me and i think that's what's happened with younger people that are getting into film today who have only grown up with digital right. photography, it, it has that different look and feel to it. And it's a tangible process, right? It's, it doesn't all right. just live in ones and zeros. Right. And I think people have connected to that. So it's, it's experiencing a little bit of a, a popularity at the moment, I think. Probably, it's probably similar to CDs versus LPs. Right. You know, and I still say LPs are warmer. Sure. You know, sound sound truer. Because, you know, CDs, I think the music has actually changed a little bit to fit the the digital processing. That's right. And it's probably, well, it is the same way with with photos. Mm-hmm. You know, compression and all that. Going yeah. To it. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I would think if you're developing your own pictures, that there's two talents or skills going on there. First, the eye, taking mm-hmm. the picture. And the second step, the developing it's right. another whole whole other talent, right? Which a digital you don't have that whole other talent, <laughs> right? So. Yeah, I think, and there's another part of it too that I had a theory about, which was there's a lot of people in my family who worked with their hands. My grandfather was on my mother's side was a preacher, but he grew up in the holler, mm-hmm. and they built their house. You know, they were farmers. They built tools. He built the house I grew up in. Just big carpenter guy, worked with wood, doing all that sorts of things. His wife, my grandmother, was 
by day a home ec teacher, but okay. sewed, cooked. I mean, just and and not, you know, from a book. She just knew how to do it and did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, my dad was his his thing was being a mechanic, working on cars. He was a wrench turner guy. That was his passion. So I just think that, you know, genetically speaking, I think there's something in me that makes me want to create something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. That's, see, a DNA thing? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I will let you know, you just wrote my next song. Uh, okay. She knew how to do it, so she just did it. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. All right. Well, great. I can't wait to hear it. And we talked about Mississippi Cypress Tree. Uh, right. And uh, I'll, I'll play that for it so everybody can hear it and enjoy it. And this was inspired by a photograph. Right. right. My uh, brother-in-law is a photographer in Erd and mm-hmm. uh he helps rebuild the Alabama theater, works on steam trains, all that kind of stuff. But he's really into photography, and he posted a picture on Facebook of a Mississippi cypress tree, and that was the title of it. Mm-hmm. And that line just stuck in my head. Sure. And so uh, with my little notepad app on my phone, I mm-hmm. you know, just keyed in Mississippi cypress tree. Yeah. And then we went to Pensacola to the beach, and I was hanging around. I got out my phone and started. And that song I, I pretty much wrote on my phone, most of it, just that little <laughs> notepad. Uh, right, but I, it's just something about the picture and the words Mississippi Cypress Tree. Just a, you know, just being went off, and, uh, <laughs> and you think about a Cypress Tree just living forever. I mean, being uh, right, yeah, strong. So, so there was a visual element to that, and just the uh, catchy phrase is right. Does inspiration? I mean, I guess you can find inspiration anywhere, but right. is there? Do you tend to get? inspired more from something visual or hearing a, a turn of phrase like uh, more about hearing a, a phrase like she knew how to she do it <laughs> so she did it yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. hearing a phrase and I, right. and I I had mentioned Yellowstone mm-hmm. that inspired a song I think the guy's name is Kilp in there said to somebody <laughs> about one of the women uh, she was born on a dead end road yeah. and I was like what a line you know so there I am <laughs> typing in my phone and then I started watching a show called Pea Valley mm-hmm. which totally different demographics than Yellowstone totally opposite mm-hmm. and Pea Valley had a rap song to start and right. and I, I kind of liked that it wasn't necessarily a rap song but I kind of liked the little break they put in there it's one, two, shake it three, four, shake it mm-hmm. so I put those two together and, and wrote the song uh, and it's called A Little Country Girl on a Dead End Street mm-hmm. but uh, I love that song and, and to me it's <laughs> And that's another thing about entertaining, talking to the crowd. Mm-hmm. You know, the song doesn't mean as much if I don't tell you the story that it came from <laughs> two of the most targeted demographic shows, you know, right. on TV. I mean, it's just, uh, but it was a great line. And, and Yellowstone's one of them that you can just watch and, and get all kind, of, all kind of lines from, you know. And just, mm-hmm. I, it just comes from anywhere. I was uh, watching the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I was back having a cigar. Right. And a drink, probably. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, it was nice outside, and I was thinking about how blessed I was yeah. to, to be out here doing this and, you know, not have a worry in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that started a song <laughs> <laughs> called The Unblessed Blues, you know. Right. Okay. So just, it, just, it, can come, it can come from anywhere. 
when I used to watch the news, I would, you know, there would be stuff on the news that would inspire me. That's probably where Miss Rosa came from, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, tell everybody about that because that was always one of my favorites. Well, uh, I actually think I went, I remember when I wrote that, I think, and because I was, uh, you know, I was in a competition here in Birmingham, Blue Society, mm-hmm. and then you win that and you go compete in the International Blues Challenge in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're they're big on original songs, you know, and it's some originality. Don't just get up there and play a standard cover, Hoochie Coochie Man or whatever. Right. And I think I was watching the news, and, uh, and it, you know, it's probably another shooting or something. Mm-hmm. And that kind of inspired me to... Uh, you know, obviously he's not a fan of Rosa Parks, right? And so uh, that kind of inspired me to, to write that, and it, it and it really wasn't like most of them. I was, it really wasn't much effort after I got the idea in my head. It just started flowing. Yeah. And I was always careful with that song to not have a lot of solos or anything to take away from right. from the lyrics, because you know sure. you. You can do that in songs. By the time the person comes out of their solo, you forgot what song that band was playing. <laughs> right. So we usually play Miss Rosa pretty straight, mm-hmm. pretty straight through. Yeah. Okay. And, and some songs like that are serious, and some songs are just are just are silly. Yeah. You know, you talked about the people liquored up and dancing. Right. Well, that's Queen of the Dance Floor. I wrote that. <laughs> you know. She can't dance a lick, but you know she's out there doing it and singing along, and and the band loves it, right? You know, and the people in the uh, audience may be making fun of her, mm-hmm. but she's having more fun than they are, <laughs> right? I mean, and so uh, yeah, you know, stuff like that. You know, I thought thought of that person, and so that inspired that song. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's been great catching up, Lynn. Yeah, it has been great. I, I wish I'd ask you uh, more photography questions. <laughs> this, this is a photography photography po- podcast. Yeah. Well, it's, um, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities. I think, you know, this is one thing that's come up talking uh, to, pe- to people who have an interest in one of these things or the other. And maybe this would be a good question to to wrap up on. So... You know how you can hear a song and you've attached life memories to that song and it can take you back to that time uh, when you first heard it or or some special memory that you attached to it. And photographs are the same way, obviously. Uh, And and maybe for some folks that is stronger because it's a visual. You got visual cues. You can remember, you know, what everybody's wearing, for example, or something like that. I don't know. Do you do you feel that one of those things or the other is more strong for you? Uh, does music bring back a memory that's more tangible for you, or or pictures? Looking at a picture, uh, uh, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. You know, because I can think of songs that uh, bring back memories, good and bad, and mm-hmm. young and old. <laughs> right, but. Uh, I really think photos, because recently my uh, brother got a bunch of old family photos that I'd never seen. Mm -hmm. And there's one of me playing the violin, for example. Oh, wow. And I remember that, you know, and Mm -hmm. my parents hated it. And uh, (laughs) it didn't last long. But but looking at those pictures, yeah, Mm -hmm. I uh, I think those kind of memories bring uh, 
are deeper than the the song stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been great, Leonard. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been fun, and I'm and I'm glad this wasn't on video. It's <laughs> <laughs> much for me too, yeah. for sure. cypress tree she gave all her love to me time moved on and we grew apart the mississippi girl with the mississippi heart found her again in a birmingham town she was fighting with the devil and losing every round hard living years are taking its toll on the mississippi girl with the mississippi soul Like the Mississippi cypress tree She may bend but she'll never break free Been through it all, still standing strong Mississippi girl with the Mississippi song Says she met a man down from Baton Rouge She played her for a fool She'd been wandering from town to town Mississippi girl had a Mississippi frown But just like the Mississippi cypress tree She may bend, she'll never break free Been through it all, still standing strong Mississippi girl with a Mississippi song We said goodbye and I wished her well Where she winds up on a time will tell no blue overs, no brand new start For the Mississippi girl with the Mississippi heart Just like the Mississippi cypress tree She may bend but she'll never break free Been through it all, still standing strong Mississippi girl with the Mississippi song Like the Mississippi Cypress Street She may bend but she'll never break free Bent through it all, still standing strong